0: Welcome to PlanetMullins.com. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Planet Mullins podcast. We're in season two and rolling along. And uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce to all of my fans and uh, the music world out there an incredible composer, multi instrumentalist, and uh, chart topping sensation. And many genres, this is Kit Wakely, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, man. Hey there,
1: Rob. How are you, bud?
0: I'm doing great. I uh, I want to put on my rock and roll voice um, while looking at your website. With a fearless, unapologetic approach to music, Kit Wakely creates an electrifying amalgamation of orchestra, rock, idiom, and piano, resulting in an epic cinematic vibe that evokes a variety of emotions. I
1: think you got the job.
0: <laughs> so... Just uh, let's let's get right down to business. You have a new album out, and what's the title of it?
1: Uh, Symphony of Sinners and Saints.
0: Okay, and I and looking through your uh, website, which is beautifully done by the way, it says that you've got some amazing guests. You've got uh, Joe Satriani, who is the what does it say? The world's largest selling guitar player in rock. Is that true? Yeah,
1: the largest selling instrumentalist of all time.
0: Wow, man! So he beat out Yanni. I, I guess so. Well, that's pretty cool. Been around a while. <laughs> uh, how did you and Joe meet?
1: Um, I emailed him. <laughs> so, oh, wow. It's pandemic. What are you doing right now?
0: So. Oh, okay, so you made this during the uh, during the pandemic times. Yes. Yeah. And then did you and Joe, have you personally met or just kind of done the uh, sessions over the Internet?
1: We've done the, all the sessions of communication over the Internet with right in the thick of what we were doing is when everybody was on lockdown. So uh, we were able to make the most of our time.
0: That's really cool. How many songs on the album is he featured on?
1: He did two on this one. And then uh, we liked it so much. We did three more for another project.
0: That's so great, man. And then you also had a a symphony orchestra on this. And, um, you know, for, I, I have a lot of young people that are kind of starting out that watch my show and I get these questions, but I have the same question that they were like, how the heck do you go from being a, a composer and a, a guy in Oklahoma to just calling up a symphony orchestra in Europe and, hey, guys, why don't you come play on my music? How, how the heck do you pull that one off?
1: Well, it's, it's kind of like that girl you want to date in high school. You keep, <laughs> at, keep asking enough. One of them going to say yes. <laughs> you keep going. It works out. But, yeah, I just um, – I called him up. Our email starts always with an email and talked with the conductor from the Royal Philharmonic, who also does the London Philharmonic, and uh, asked him what he thought, seeing some some of the demos. Uh, he liked it, and uh, it just kind of takes off from there.
0: Wow. So you've done um, a lot of things in a lot of different genres in this particular album. What would you call this genre that you're in right now?
1: Orchestral rock. Um, right. You know, most <laughs> Followed up with, you know, a cinematic vibe of, you know, film scores, uh, you know, just that big epic sound that you you hear a lot of trailers and things like that.
0: Right. It really sounds like the movies. Like when I listen to it, I can just see that there would be a lot of, uh, I would think, licensing opportunities for this.
1: Yes, that's the next phase. You know, the first phase is, you know, just getting it out there, getting it you know, getting the attention for the streaming sites and sales and things of that nature. And once that starts to die down, you, you start the process of performances and licensing and trying to make another dollar phase two.
0: Okay. So that you've done, how many, how many albums have you done? It just looks like you've done a boatload of stuff.
1: I've done a lot of stuff, produced a lot of stuff for other, um, you know, other artists, um, participate in some way on their projects. Um, but uh, my solo projects, I've only done three. And then, of course, I was band- with bands before that. But my I've done three solo projects.
0: Okay. Do you like playing? Because um, I early on, I was in, like, a lot of bands where it was kind of a, you know, democracy right out of college. And we're all going to get in a van and drive around and stuff. Like, did you have that similar kind of experience when you were younger?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that for, you know, quite a while. But uh, eventually... Uh, you know, you you open up for these uh, acts from the the nineties, maybe some from the eighties, and you kind of start to see where where they end up, and you kind of think to yourself, I don't want to be a parody of myself someday. So, ah. and, and it doesn't pay a lot, so uh, and it's rough. It's hard to raise family, so eventually you got to hang that part up.
0: Right. Well, you know, I just always noticed in those bands that I was in that the bass player always ended up chasing everybody's girlfriend. I don't know why that was. It was like, you know, you don't really have to watch out for like the side saxophone guy, but one day you'll turn around and your girl is missing and so's the bass player and you're like,
1: "Wait, wait." It's it's odd that you say that. My bass player used to tell me all the time, "Don't trust me with your girlfriend." Yeah. <laughs> At least he's
0: honest. Yeah. That's <laughs> one of those stereotypical things now um OK, so right. Well, as we've you know, got organized for you to come on the show, you've been traveling quite a bit, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, start. Everything picks up now. So.
0: So are you going out on tour or what are you uh, what are uh, your activities like?
1: Because of the magnitude of the shows, there's there's some rate limiting steps. One, it, you know, we're we have to have a certain size stage. When you get into that size of a stage, now you got to go to ask yourself, is it going to be a 25% occupancy, a 50% occupancy, and things like that. So we have a lot of offers for different civic centers, performance centers, uh-huh. uh, but they can't guarantee what the occupancy level is going to be. So right now we're limited. I think uh, the next uh, project, uh, the, we're going to Carnegie Hall next. Okay. will a tastemaker's taste performance, probably hundred people, uh, in LA sometime in the next couple of months. And then, uh, Dallas civic center, I think, uh, either St. Louis, Kansas city, Kansas city, uh, uh-huh. cities there.
0: Wow. Well, um, I, I hope I get invited to the one in LA when you come here. Cause I'd love to meet you and hear what you're oh, doing. Yeah. The, oh, absolutely. The music that you're doing is just this epic kind of huge thing. And then I guess it would also beg the question too, is, um, how do you finance all this stuff? Because you're, you know, hiring orchestras from overseas, and you've got Satriani, and it sounds like, um, you know, you've spent a lot of time putting all this stuff together. I mean, it's, how do you pay for it all?
1: Well, a lot of it, since I can, you know, compose it and score it, and you know, get so much of it ready in advance, I save a lot of money there. Um, the, of course, orchestral players, the or, you know, their money cost a lot. Um, However, they're cheaper than recording gear in Oklahoma, even though they're the Royal for Harmonic and recorded every, you know, from Harry Potter or whatever. um, You know, uh, they're not as expensive as Union here in the States. Um, And then after you start to play, uh, kind of keep this generic, after you start to play with certain artists, uh, they don't really charge you anymore. Uh and now it's a collaboration. Now it's you know, hey, how do we how do we work together and, and share it in this project? So that saves a lot. Um, it's uh, but it does cost more. I'd rather do that because um, I make all the money back. if I was with the label, um, I'd still be paying for the project i'd I'd still over the company store, so to speak. So here I get my money back and now I make a profit. Um, wow. So
0: well, that's amazing because, uh, you know, so many people out there that are, uh, you know, in our industry are always looking for some sort of a major label deal. And um, I was on Warner Brothers two times and I didn't enjoy either experience. Well, it's
1: not and you not would like You, know, you would think. What I know, yeah. I mean, because I like your boss.
0: Right? Because, uh, you know, some of the things that you can't really just tell everybody when you're signing a deal like that or, well, yeah, I've given up I've taken the money, which is great to have money, you know, upfront money, but I don't have any control over my album anymore. So, you know, in one of the situations I was in, I had to wait about eighteen months before my album came into the release queue. Oh wow and I was just sitting there for 18 months going, when's my damn album going to come out? And they're, well, probably in about a year and three months from now. And I'm like, uh, what am I going to do? Because in the meantime, you're not allowed to record anything else. Um, You're not allowed to go out and promote it yet because they haven't released it yet. And so the fact that you're doing it all on your own, that's pretty miraculous and ingenious and uh, high five to you, sir.
1: I appreciate it. I think my thing was I knew if I... Rely on a label um, that they would probably cut the cost, and all of a sudden put the London Philharmonic or Royal Philharmonic, or whatever, <laughs> not going to be an option. Why have you road and we can do it right here? Um, and then I'm very specific about how I write the songs to keep it. Um, I don't. I don't uh, structure my songs like a classical. I, I structure it like secular music, you know, intro, interesting, verses, et cetera. And I didn't want them. Uh, interfering
0: with that oh okay so you know you like to have control over the writing and the production and all that I mean I'm, I'm the same way too I turned in one album to a, to a major label where I had played a lot of the instruments myself and I'm a multi instrumentalist just like you are and I played drums and I'd done a bunch of sampling and uh, a lot of kind of 90s drum machine kind of things yeah. They were they were so mad. Oh, my God. They were so mad. And what's funny about it is that after everybody got angry and, you know, the uh, uh, record deal ended and all that, and about 10 years later, here they put it out digitally and everyone's talking about, Rob Mullins is a genius drum programmer. Those sounds that he was using, those beats, those are epic. That's like part of rap and hip-hop history and on and on and on. And it's just, uh, you know, you got to kind of wonder about uh, what do they call them, the suits, you know, yeah. the guys that are doing that thing. But uh, do you have a staff of people around you? Because it just looks like you're doing so much stuff. I mean, it would be exhausting. Do you have a publicist and uh a team or how, yeah, I, how I have,
1: do you go uh, Yeah, I have uh, a social media uh, team um, okay. with company. I have a PR uh, firm and then um, I actually have a personal assistant. Um, and so that right there, along with what I do and heck, even even my wife, the, some of the roles she takes on, uh, we get it. We think we get it all done.
0: That's a lot of stuff to manage. Do you like being part of the uh, new Internet social media world or do you hate it? I mean, some people love it and other people are just annoyed.
1: I think it's a necessary evil. And um, if you ever look at my social media, I don't I don't like a religious viewpoint. I don't like a political viewpoint. I want to know hey, whose birthday is it? By the way, you're having a new song. I, I like to support my peers. I mean, there's a reason our peers put their music out there for us to listen to. So let's give them affirmation. Let's enjoy that together. I like that, Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know if I'd be on social media if I wasn't in music.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, I agree with you. I think it's a necessary evil. And, um, you know, Herbie Hancock was recently quoted about why people won't listen to jazz anymore. And that couple of paragraphs just, spread like wildfire all over Facebook I can't paraphrase or uh, you know don't I don't have those paragraphs handy but it's I think a great thing for musicians who can all just you know trade tips and tricks and uh, talk about their projects and this and that and I, I think you know Facebook and Instagram are really good for that on on the other hand you know especially in jazz and I've had this conversation with some people you can spend two years working on an album and you get it all finally done and you put up, you put it up there on Facebook and then nobody likes it. Like you might get two likes and then the next day you post a picture of a sandwich that you're eating and the sandwich gets a thousand likes.
1: I don't. I was just asking my social media guys about that. How is it <laughs> I can post and get 50 likes? And then something else gets posted, and it gets 2,000 likes. And I'm just like, I don't understand. I have no clue how that works. <laughs>
0: well, you're such a great musician and composer. Um, it's great that you have a team that you can you know, rely on for that stuff. So uh, I see you've got keyboards and a drum set and a bunch of guitars and a, a bass or two. Do you, do you know how to play
1: all that stuff? Yeah, well enough that I can get it down for the demos and things like that. I mainly use the drums. Um, I learned this from Abbey Road. Um, I mainly use the drums to record uh, the big orchestral uh, sounds. Okay, it's, you pay almost as much to get that stuff set up, and you go or Abbey, and they're like, just they told me how to how to save a lot of money and get the same sound and no one's going to know the difference until they watch this.
0: Wow. Well, um, tell us about that experience because for a lot of people in my age range working at Abbey road and doing anything would be more than a dream come true. It would be like fulfilling the whole bucket list in one week. How yeah. did you manage to pull that off? Again,
1: um, you just, it's, um, you just I didn't realize it, it was really a process. Um, you know, I, I emailed, I was, you know, I told them what I was interested in, but what I didn't think of is they don't want anybody's garage van walking in recording. They got a certain standard. And and so I didn't realize I was going through a litmus test at the time, but once I got that nod, um, he just, you know, I have never met more, that's not true, but I want to say I've never met more customer friendly, uh, people in my life, um, They have a team of five people in the engineer room tracking everything for you. They talk to you. I mean, I think, uh, I forgot what big name artist was in there like the week before Uh and and they're treating me like I'm that artist. And I just think that that's a rare, uh, a a rarity anymore to be Abbey Road and treat you like you are somebody. I've really, uh, I really enjoyed that experience.
0: Did they, um, uh, you know, I know that you're from Oklahoma and you've got a bit of an accent. What was it like trying to understand their English?
1: Um, that part was easy. They tried to make me feel welcome with the orchestra uh, saying, Howdy, all <laughs> And I just pushed the button and said, We don't say that. <laughs> I appreciate that. They got a kick out of the accident. Not- uh, that's so smart. great. Uh,
0: well, <laughs> You know, in terms of the engineering staff, just to kind of go into a little bit of the technical stuff, um, did you uh, go there with a specific kind of drum sound in mind and you said, hey, I want to have an orchestral kind of thing out of my drum kit or make it sound like ringo or I mean, how did that work?
1: Well, we recorded the drums as you know as drums, rock drums. okay, And, and it was afterwards in post-production. That we listened to a lot of uh, Chris Lord and and some of those guys who've done Nickelback, Green Theater, who get that big rock sound without that 80s vibe. And we just emulated that sound the best we could. Uh And that so that's how we got to that sound.
0: Wow. That's that's amazing because, you know, it's uh, the sonic quality of your project is truly stunning. It's just really, really, really good. And uh, walking through Abbey Road, do they have gold records up there and pictures of the Beatles and all that, or what? What's it like it's there? A, man? Come on, it's still a, a beat. Haunting
1: experience. It's a very haunting experience because I want to geek out, play on the piano that um, you know it was on Harry Potter, and then I want to turn around and go, "This is where so and so sat to do You're right." Whatever. Yeah, come on. So it's um, amazing. It's a humbling. Uh, it's. A, it's an experience I'll always remember.
0: So, uh, did you mix your stuff there too?
1: Did I mix it there? Yeah. No, I have a gentleman here in actually in Dallas. Okay. He's won several Grammys. His name's Trey Nagella. and he uh, he is phenomenal. Um, I've tr- I've tried a lot of lots of engineers. I've tried, and I, I he knows how to find a place with that arpeggiated string while Joe Satriani's playing that clean guitar sound. And you want to hear both.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, it's pristine, uh, very pristine. So he's, uh, he's, um, very well known for it. There's a reason Epic and Sony and Columbia, uh, call him.
0: Okay. So how did you learn how to do all of this amazing stuff that you do? Did you just, uh, pick it up one day in high school. That's kind of what I did in elementary school. I just decided, I like music. I'm going to take drum lessons.
1: Yeah, I did. I started out with trumpet, and uh, believe it or not, I never learned how to read music. Um, wow. And, uh, I just kept having, having fun in bands. I migrated over to keyboards, and um, I knew that got women. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: I had a choice um, in college, I was a percussion major, and I had a choice between kind of continuing with drums or, um, you know, focusing more on the piano. And everybody said, everywhere in the world has a piano, all the country clubs and the churches and the houses, and you don't have to carry anything. So, you know, I was like, oh, man, I hate carrying stuff. So I'll just focus on the piano. And now, you know, 30 years later, nobody's got a piano. You can't
1: find a real piano any place. These, these bad boys are 75. This this one's only about 30 pounds, but these are 75 pounds a pot. So oh, yeah, anything like by Yamaha
0: or Korg that's big, you're you put it in a road case and you you have to have a helper <laughs> to, to move oh, it, bad which bad is boys. crazy. Well, um one of the things I noticed uh wanted to touch on in your uh bio on your website is that you have an alter ego, da da da. You have a, a special EDM name where you go out in secret and you fool the children. <laughs> you fool the children. You don't come out as Kit Wakely. You come out as Audio Chaos, da da da. I
1: figured I was too old to be an EDM guy, so i just, <laughs> you know, hid behind, you know, hid behind that name. And uh, I like the aggressive nature of EDM and just getting ugly with guitar and and uh that was a fun project
0: uh did you have a special like mask or makeup or anything that you did to to hide yourself or
1: (laughs) by the time you show up it's too late (laughs) they hear the the southern accent
0: yeah okay (laughs) well oklahoma is a pretty interesting place to be from i mean my uh Dad is from um, Ada, and my mom is from Okamulgee, and I was born there, and um, I don't know how you stand it in some ways, because I couldn't get used to a couple of things there. I couldn't get used to the heat and the humidity th- factor, and then Oklahoma has bugs that you don't find anywhere else in the world.
1: Well, I, uh, <laughs> I'm Right running your laugh because yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. I live in a more metro area. I spend time in New York and L.A. And, okay. um, I'm, you know, I, it's odd that you mention Ada. I want to throw in with, with they're doing a documentary right now. It's a pretty high budget documentary. It's it's not, I think, Netflix and uh, several are looking at it. Of all the musicians that have come through Ada, Grammy winners to, you know, uh, Tony winners. And, and <sighs> I can just go on and on and on. Wow. I'm amazed at the talent that's come through that town. So Ada, where'd
0: you go? That's pretty cool, man. Well I uh, I remember we used to catch fireflies at my grandma's house and then I saw these things that were they look like centipedes but you're counting the legs and you're like wait there's like hundred and six legs on this thing. <laughs> now that's only in Oklahoma man. If you're not from Oklahoma <laughs> you probably wouldn't understand what we're talking about here. But uh my guest today is Kit Wakely he's got a brand new amazing album um and many others, too. This one's called Symphony of Sinners and Saints. And um, the next gig that you're going to be doing is Carnegie Hall, the next show, or tell everybody about your next one.
1: Uh, the one after Carnegie? Or- no, the,
0: the very next one uh, coming up
1: yeah, after that, that is podcast. That is Carnegie. Okay. Uh, we just I just got back from a production meeting up there. Uh, the environment's different. Uh, when you walk to a restaurant, you better have that vaccination card. Oh, um, right. And Carnegie is sweating it I can be honest with you I'm kind of sweating I'm not I'm used to going somewhere the ticket sale that last week or two you're hoping for a big splurge and I've gotten lucky every time mm-hmm. here I'm looking at the ticket sales going are you sure and they're they're actually you know please don't cancel um, we need we need to show this momentum keep people um, and then of course they don't let you bring the whole show. Oh um, um, they don't want anyone touching the rigging they don't it's a, it's a historical uh, it's a historical landmark so they don't want all right that, uh, mess with much um because the show's big it's 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 a big show so how many people like, are
0: how many people are in your show
1: let's see here eight nine two twelve about right wait, wait a minute thirty two thirty two
0: and that's on stage mm-hmm
1: Oh, my God. Well, we used to do a full orchestra, um, and it just got too hard to navigate. So um, a, a friend of mine uh, worked with a lot with uh, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and you, you're, doing, you're making it way too hard. Yeah you know, wow. Four strings, five brass. Okay. Um, get a choir, and even that sometimes gets pretty, pretty daunting.
0: Uh-huh. So um- – so it's october 21st do i have that
1: right october 11th
0: october 11th kit will be at carnegie hall and that's in new york city and you can uh, go to his website kit for the tickets and um wow it's exciting to meet you man it's really it's really an honor and uh everybody go out there and check out his music and his new album it's a uh I don't know how to describe it other than the way that he describes it, which is it's a combination. It's almost like a fusion of a lot of things. It's got some cinematic elements. It's got really banging drum grooves. It's got amazing guitar by uh, Joe Satriani. And uh, I wish you a lot of luck and success trying to go out there and tour with something this ambitious, man, because I know it's going to be a challenge.
1: You bet. I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. Way to get to me.
0: All right, man. Well, uh, if there's anything else you want to talk about or promote, otherwise we'll be uh, putting this out here. My team's going to get it out here in the next day or two and start letting people know about your, uh, your great music.
1: I appreciate it, bud. I really appreciate it so much.
0: All right. Thanks for coming on, and we'll see you next time on the Planet Mullins Podcast.